Hello, everyone. If you've been following my podcast, welcome back. If this is your first episode, I'll bring you up to date. If I'm a good guesser, I would guess that someone else chose your name and may have even chosen your religion. Well, that's my story. After my parents picked my name, they doused my head in holy water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yep, that's what they did. But they did it twice. Once in the Lutheran Church, and then again in the Catholic Church. There was a little religious battle between both sides of the family. But the Catholic side won. Was I confused? Of course. Each side of the family thought their religion was the right religion. But this little girl decided to walk through the woods and find her own path. The path that didn't yet have a name. Then I joined the army. But since I didn't know my woo-woo path in the woods had a name to it, I told the army that I was Catholic. So that's what they stamped on my dog tags. It wasn't until I met my awesome roommate in basic training, who walked the same path, that I learned there was a name to it. But her dog tag said, No Religious Preference. No Religious Preference because the military did not recognize the religion. By the way, this did not happen during the burning times. This happened in my lifetime. April 23rd is Pinnacle Quest Victory Day, the date the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs approved the Pinnacle for veteran grave markers and memorial plaques. In honor of this victory, I am featuring guest speakers who are military veterans, their family members, and those still currently serving in the armed forces as they share their stories about religious discrimination, religious freedom, and the progress pagans have made in the military. You will hear firsthand from those who fought the battle to have the pinnacle recognized by the VA. Many, many people were involved in this historic event. You will meet some of them here in the upcoming episodes. Whether you choose to grab your tea, grab your beer, or grab your broom for this episode, just know there has never been a better time to be a witch. Everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as witch casting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron, and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches, and our wonderful world of magic.
I'm your host, Theodore Pendragon, and today we have a special guest, Don Larson. Don Larson has experienced religious discrimination firsthand, to the point that it even made the news. Welcome, Don. Hello, Theodora. It's nice to see you on this lovely afternoon. Well, I'm glad that we're going to talk about religious discrimination. And before I get into any kind of details as to what happened to me, I want to make it very plain that the United States Army, of which I am a retiree, I retired as a field grade officer, a major in the United States Army, does not discriminate. Um, and so when this story is viewed, sometimes people think it's an army discrimination story, which it is not, because the United States Army has, um, to my knowledge, never discriminated against uh, me or the people I know due to religion or gender or um, or or uh, ethnicity. But there are individuals within the chaplain corps which definitely acted in a discriminatory fashion. So these were people that had were in the position to um, go ahead and make some decisions which prevented me from becoming the first Wiccan chaplain. So perhaps some of you or all of you know, Theodore's written a very fascinating book, um, Taking Flight Out of the Broom Closet, where she features stories like mine of people that have um, come out of the broom closet as witches which is what I did back in 2006. So do you want me to kind of go over what I was doing and why anybody would care? <laughs> Let's talk about the beginning of your Army career and how that started, because you didn't start out as a chaplain in the military. No, no. A matter of fact, when I first enlisted in the United States Army, I enlisted. I did not go in as an officer. I wanted to be a chaplain's assistant because I had been involved in various ministries, and I'd hoped to be a chaplain. Well, so, um, but after I got enlisted, the unit I was in, which was an infantry unit, is like, we need medics more than chaplain assistants, and there's a lot more opportunities as a medic to be to, to work as an EMT, or it can launch into a nursing career and whatnot. And I was sorely in need of a career at that time. And so I, I switched out of being a chaplain's assistant over to being a combat medic. And back then we were 90, oh, what were we? Oh, man, 91 Bravo 10 combat medics. Now they're whiskey series in the Army. But um, so I was a medic for years. And then um, I decided that I, the medic ceiling, as a specialist, I was um, a specialist E4, I took the OCS challenge and I went through hell on earth. <laughs> Basic training is nothing compared to officer, officer candidate school. So I, oh gosh, it was so bad. So I went through that hell and got uh, pinned as a second lieutenant and my branch was field artillery. And so that's how my career started was as a field artilleryman. However, um, the war on terror came, and um, so we went from being reservist guardsmen, a lot of us, you know, in the Army Reserves or Army National Guard, we started getting activated and pulled onto active duty 
either for stateside missions or overseas missions. Well, as a field artilleryman, what had happened is I got um, activated and sent on a mission called Noble Eagle 4. And Noble Eagle 4 was guarding um, the Pine Bluff Arsenal in, Pine, in, in Arkansas. So uh, the Army had need to put us there full time. And so we literally ran a perimeter. It was an MP mission. They called us FEMPS, Field Artillery Military Police. And so we had a whole, I had a whole platoon down there and I was the officer in charge of uh, my platoon and there was a company. So we had a captain and we had a me and, and we ran this, this guard mission. Well, there, our chaplain was, was a chaplain named Skip Stanley. And since the time that I had enlisted in the army to the time that I was down at Pine Bluff Arsenal, I had acquired a lot of education and had been ordained in ministry. And so he is like, you know, you could be a chaplain. And um, because I was very, the, I was ordained as a Southern Baptist. And um, that's a, a very conservative denomination. And at this time I was divorced and um, fairly liberal. <laughs> you said you were, okay, did you just say you were divorced and fairly liberal? Oh, yes. Somehow that doesn't go with Southern Baptist. <laughs> Oh, I know. Well, see, and that's why uh, as a divorced person, you can't be in ministry. So he was like, you could become a chaplain in the army. He goes, you've got the education for it. And of course, that just, that thrilled me because being you know, army chaplains are awesome. And almost all of them that I've known are, are athletic, intelligent. They love the soldiers. They engage you where you're at. They get you help. If they can't help you, you know, if you're a Wiccan and they're a Catholic, they'll find a Wiccan to help you. I mean, army chaplains are really neat people for the most part. <laughs> it's a few, few ringers, in my opinion. However, so he told me that I could get endorsed through the churches of full gospel chaplaincy. And he goes, just send these guys <laughs> some money and, and fill out the form. He goes, that he got endorsed through the churches of full gospel chaplaincy. He goes, but I, knowing you, you'll have to find a new endorser. But he goes, this will get you through the door and they'll gladly take your money. And so I filled out the papers and they ordained me in their church. But understand, I never went to their church. Okay, I never physically went to any of their churches. They ordained me in some church like in Georgia or something and he sent me papers and so I was good to go. <laughs> so... This is what people don't understand is, you know, so yes, I was ordained as a, as a church of full gospel chaplaincy's chaplain. I'd never met anybody from the organization. I'd talked to a guy on the phone, filled out some papers and sent him some money. So it's kind of like the middle ages. You leave the bag of gold at the, at the bishops, you know, at the altar. And so anyway, and I'm just telling you, this is what happened. I'm sure they don't want this talked about because it's not overly flattering, but it the truth needs to have its day. That's exactly what I did. And I was ordained. And so then I branched over the chaplain corps. I was actually on a full-time mission by this point. Um, you know, I'd become a chaplain, but I wasn't school trained. And I was up on a net island. I love that mission with engineers, Marines, and Navy, Air Force, and uh, Coast Guard. We were all up there building these roads on a net island. It was a great mission. And I was a chaplain. I was having a blast. 
I love the job. I love doing it. Um, got along with everybody. But I got my orders to go to school. So I went down to what they call Chobik, which is chaplain officer basic course. And then I got, um, then the army sanctioned me. I love Chobik. It was fascinating. At that school, they had a presentation by a chaplain's assistant on Wicca, where he talked about, um, cause, you know, they were, they were acquainting us, you know, that we had the, the Buddhist guys come in, the Muslim guys come in, the Catholics, the Jewish, the, you know, evangelicals. And, uh, this guy, the chaplain assistant came in cause there's no chaplain for the Wiccans. And, um, he gave, gave a presentation. I thought, well, that I would like to be one of those. When I look for a new endorser, which I see, this is what people don't understand. I was Skip had told me you're going to have to find a new endorser. I know you. You're very, you know, you're pretty, pretty far out there, but you definitely have a heart for God. So what you're saying is that your spirituality was not in alignment with full gospel chaplaincy. No, they're very conservative. They're kind of a Pentecostal thing. Now, see, so. I was set up on this. I knew I was going to, have to find another endorser. So I got with aviation, an aviation group. I was in Iraq. I loved being a chaplain in Iraq. And I, um, you know, I was working, um, in various different chapels. I had mine, but I was also, I assisted another, uh, another chaplain. And then I, um, went into other chaplain communities and was well received. So I was a very busy chaplain. I was doing about, four or five services a week. Um, Karina Nafi was my chaplain assistant. I was even hanging around, you know, with the Jewish rabbi because I have, I'd worked in Jewish ministry before. I mean, I was having a great time. Again, got along with everybody. Everything's fine. But I thought, well, now's a good time to look for a new endorser because I heard the church of full gospel chaplaincy guy was going to show up. (laughs) 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 And I thought, well, I might want to go ahead and uh, reinforce my fighting position and start working on this switch of of endorsers. And of course, I was full time in the war, very busy. But my only job was being a chaplain. I didn't have any other distractions because you're in a war zone. Why did you want to be a Wiccan chaplain? What was it about Wicca? Because that's very different from being a Southern Baptist. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, see, my spiritual life had gone down a really... Interesting. It it still is, you know, but at that time I had branched. Okay. As I was, I was ordained as a Southern Baptist, but I'd started these congregations. I started two of them that are called Messianic Jewish and they're very much Judaism. They're the one that we had in Helena was Beth Shalom and Beth Shalom was where was, was a beautiful congregation because you had evangelicals, you had charismatics, you had atheists, you had Jewish people, you had Jewish people that believe Jesus, that Jesus, um, is their Messiah. And it was real open congregation. So on any given Saturday, because we kept the Jewish calendar, you could have people there in yarmulkes and prayer shawls and challah bread and the whole thing. Very, very traditional Jewish, and other people show up on mountain bikes in spandex. I mean, it was that congregation, and it was just filled with light. It's a really, really robust, just a real vibrant spirituality. So I was involved in this Messianic Jewish, well, and I also got ordained through the Messianic Jewish, so I've been ordained a lot. And I know I had four ordinations. See, again, a very 
pluralistic. And maybe I might describe it this way, and then I'll tell you how I got into Wickham. About that same time, there was a thing called the Montana School of Prayer, because I was living in, this was a little earlier, but this will show you how diverse I was long before coming to the to the Wiccan thing. But a, a Jewish guy and I were asked to o- do a prayer, a Jewish prayer to open up the uh, Montana School of Prayer. So we're up there, we got a prayer shawls on, we blow our shofars, Shema Yisrael, Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai Had, we're doing the thing. And uh, this guy that was a Southern Baptist pastor came up to me when I was walking down with my friend, Mark Kramer. He stopped me. He goes, let me get this right. He goes, you're ordained Southern Baptist. I'm like, correct. He goes, but you're running this Beth Shalom, this Jewish congregation. I'm like, correct. And you just started St. Andrew's, the classical Catholic school. I'm like, yep, that would be me. And he goes, and you're at the Montana School of Prayer, which is charismatic. I'm like, yes. He goes, you have a multiple religion disorder. (laughs) (laughs) I have not heard that one. (laughs) Because all of that was true. We started St. Andrew's Classical Catholic School. It's still there in Helena. It does fantastic. And I was the rabbi, the rebetzine of Beth Shalom. So religious diversity, it's in my blood. Well, I, uh, at the same time, was studying Jewish Kabbalah because I was really being very seriously studying the Torah, the Tanakh, and the Kabbalah. I got into Israeli Ricarde, the Middle Pillar, Garden of Pomegranates. Would you bump into the Golden Dawn? You know, I was really exploring the richness of um, what you would call Western mysticism or Jewish mysticism or Kabbalah. Well, Kabbalah is a close cousin to some forms of Wicca. So when I was looking for a new endorser, Sacred Well, the congregation that I chose, if you look at the website, they're universalist. And what they say is they are a universalist um, faith who expresses by practicing green craft. So green craft is a particular expression, which we would call Wiccan, but the heart of sacred well is universalist. And they used to have, you know, the Star of David, the Om, the Cross. You know, they would have all the symbols of these different religions in their logo. And I thought, well, these guys, let's do that. <laughs> I'm like, I love these guys because they're universalist. You want to be one of them. Right. I'm like, I want to do that. They're universalist. So there's room to explore and grow, and yet they have this practice, which, you know, I'm a Viking. My genetics are Northern European. Greencraft is Northern European. So I'm like, it's also ethnically, it's ethnically in step with who I am. So I thought, let's do that. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I did it. What did you do? I had formed the chaplain court. I'd met Dr. Orendorf. Unlike the guy's Church of, of Full Gospel Chaplaincy, I met Dr. Orendorf. We had a long conversations. Who is Dr. Orendorf? Okay, Dr. David Orendorf, now a very good friend. He used to be the uh, director of Sacred Well Congregation in Converse, Texas. He's a PhD clinical psychologist, great guy. I love this guy. And, um, but, you know, we met 
And uh, we talked about these issues thoroughly. And what I did not know is he'd been involved in the struggle um, after he he and the organization had done Pentacle Quest, which was getting the fallen the right to have the uh, pentagram on their tombstones in a military cemetery. They were very aggressively pursuing the idea of having a Wiccan chaplet. And then I didn't know any of that. Then I fall out of the sky. <laughs> so you were exactly what they were looking for. Right. here, Because I see, this is where it gets really kind of dicey because I was a serving chaplain in a combat zone and a, a very well liked chaplain. I mean, I there's no letters of reprimand. I was not a troublemaker. I was not. There was no issues with the the army and I. And again, the army and I've done fine. I finished out my career and retired as a as a field grade officer. And I I really want to say that because I don't want people to hear this is a story of how the army persecuted a a Wiccan chaplain. Because it's not. What happened was. Um, and Dr. Orndorff, you should have him on for an interview and he can explain the technicalities. But they had put just the, the Wiccans had been close to having chaplains before. And in order to block them, certain powerful people in the chaplain corps had rewritten the rules to state that your chaplain candidate, your first chaplain, had to be without waiver. Now, just to get a little technical, and I'll let him do that because he's better at at the nuts and bolts and I have ever been. But what that means is your first candidate has to be Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way. <laughs> and so if your candidate, this actually happened, a person before me did not have 20-20 vision. And so they required a military waiver, which waivers Army grants the all all the branches of the armed forces grant waivers because chaplains don't have to have twenty twenty vision. Pilots do. You don't want chaplains flying aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad idea. So you just get a waiver, and the, the waiver just says for this MOS, which is Army for job, twenty twenty vision is not required. So we can waive the requirement that he or she have 20-20 vision and they can go on and serve their country as a chaplain. Okay. I didn't require a waiver because I already was a chaplain. I was in the upper 10% of Chobik, so I graduated at the top of my class. And again, nothing but um, all the commanders that I'd served, um, they really approved of, of my ministry and my efforts to work with the soldiers. So everything's good. It's a done deal. At this time, how long had you been a chaplain in the military? A couple of years. Because I served before, and then I went to Chobik, and that's two and a half, three months. And then we'd mobilized. I went through the whole mobilization process with my unit, and then we were already, we'd already been in country for six months. It had been a couple of years. So, and again doing well and loving the job. I love being an army chaplain. Anyway, so I didn't require a waiver. I'm already a chaplain. So Dr. Orender and I thought this would be very easy. You go to chaplain course. So here's our, here's our candidate, Don Larson, Captain Don Larson. And uh, there you have it. So for the endorsement, it was just a matter of doing the paperwork so that you could switch endorsers, correct? 
Right. And this happens all the time. Skip Stanley, the guy that had got me into chaplaincy, and he had me a follow-on job, but of course then all this happened. But um, Skip had started church as a full gospel chaplaincy, but he switched over to United Methodist because he was a pretty liberal guy too. And he knew he had to get out of there. So he's the one that told me, you're going to have to get. (laughs) Don't, don't, don't pick out drapes. And, um, but lots of chaplains I have met, they've switched endorsers. And there's a gentleman agreement among endorsers that says, Okay, like in, in Skip's case. So when he notified churches of full gospel chaplaincy that he was going to become a United Methodist, they held his endorsement, which is DD form 2088. They held it. In other words, they kept, so he didn't lose his endorsement while he made the switch. That's what happens 99% of the time. Well, <laughs> not 100% of the time. So what happened was, Dr. Orndorf let him know, I got a call from churches of full gospel chaplaincy and said, hey, <laughs> brother, we got this crazy thing that said that you are going to be, that you're going to join with the Wiccans and um, be their chaplain. I'm like, yes, I was uh, talking to Dr. Orndorf and I and I was thinking of, of having them be our endorser. He goes, oh, and he hung up the phone. And then the next thing I know, they pull my 2088. So instead of holding it like they did for Skip, and like all the other denominations do out of respect for the other denominations that serve the armed forces, these guys, they pulled it. So now I'm unendorsed. Well, that's like a doctor losing their medical license. You can't operate. You can't do anything. So I'm suddenly unendorsed. And and so I con- I'm in contact with the chaplaincy, with the you know, with the army chaplains, I'm like, hey, guys, you know, I'm for real. You know, I have a 2088. It's in my packet. I said, you know, come on. I'm here in the war. <laughs> I'm in the Iraq war. They're like, I'm like, you know, I've got it. And they go, no, we broke, you know, we break up your packet, blah, 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 blah. And no, nope, seems to be lost. Huh? Really? So they, quote, lost, certain people in the chaplain corps lost my 2088, and the the full gospel guys wouldn't give them a copy because they pulled it. So I could, now I required a waiver, and your first candidate can't have a waiver. It's called a military catch-22. So within a week, I came home. They just kicked you out? They just kicked me out. <laughs> you can't serve without a, um endorsement. I just couldn't believe it. Everybody's like, what did you do? You know, the unit was like, I had some of the, of course, some of the enlisted were like, chaplain. Hey, chap. They call me chap, of course. Hey, chap. What'd you do? So I could do it. So I could go home. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, 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 no. I said, no, I didn't do anything. I thought maybe I did something immoral or, you know, did something <laughs> I'm like, no, I didn't do anything. I said, I was, I said, it's, it's inside baseball. I was just trying to change endorsers and I, uh, and it didn't work. And so my commander was really nice. He said, well, I'm going to send you home and leave you on orders for a month to get this figured out. Cause he really liked me. And a matter of fact, I was told by a lot of the soldiers, cause I went, when they came back, you know, months later, 
that the whole morale of the unit went down the, just went down the drain after I went home. A lot of them said it just went down the drain. It was a tough tour and it really, it really hurt them that they lost their chaplain over paperwork. Are you saying that if you had switched to another endorser who was a Christian organization, that this may not have happened, but because Sacred Well Congregation was going to endorse you as a Wiccan chaplain, that's what the problem was? Definitely. Definitely. And these guys, churches of full gospel chaplaincy, they don't want Wiccans there. So that's where the discrimination came from. The problem was they had the power to make that happen. In my case, they could exercise the power by pulling the 2088. And it was explained to me, it wasn't wrong what they did. It's It was discrimination. They don't do it for anybody else, but they did it for me. And that's the very thing that discrimination is, is we're going to treat this one different because she's a Wiccan as opposed to that one who wants to be a Methodist. So we are going to discriminate. And we're going to say, no, you don't get to be a Wiccan chaplain, and we have the power to stop you. And the reason they knew to do that is somebody in the chaplain corps called them up. And I know who, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say who. <laughs> I know exactly who. But a particular powerful, high-ranking individual called these guys up and said, hey, one of your chaplains is about ready to switch over to Wicca. Just let you know. And they're like, we got this. No, they're not. <laughs> so anyway, that's what happened. And it ended my career as an Army chaplain. But you didn't leave the Army. No, thank God. What did you do after you lost your endorsement? I went back. See, this is where if, if, I, if I was not already an officer and had not already had a branch, I would have been done. But I did have a branch. It was field artillery and MP because I went to MP officer advanced course. So I was a FEMP, field artillery MP. So I came back and uh, got into a field artillery unit, got into my old field artillery unit. I just called them up and said, hey, I'm back. They're like, aren't you a chaplain? I'm like, no. (laughs) I said, you got a job? And they said, we sure do. Fire direction officer. And so I got back in the Army as a, um, as a field artillery officer. This made the news. How did that happen? Um, Dr. Oren Durf. Uh, it made the Washington Post. And um, early in 2007, the Washington Post wrote an article called For Gods and Country. And it was picked up by the Seattle Times and a lot of other big um, newspapers around the country. And um, it's in Wikipedia. <laughs> Yay, I'm in Wikipedia. <laughs> Woo! And, you know, a lot of other places. So, yeah, um, it uh, the story is out there. And in certain circles, a lot of times in colleges and whatnot, this story is, is discussed. Because it's a blatant form of discrimination. I mean, and again, it wasn't the Department of the Army. It was agents in the chaplain corps. And then more directly, the church is a full gospel chaplaincy. So here's a question I have about church as a full gospel chaplaincy. If you got an organization that is um, 
supporting the, the Department of Defense, who is blatantly religious, religiously discriminatory, should they really be endorsing chaplains, one might ask? That's a good point. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's not my fight now. I'm 60 years old. I'm retired. I don't care. But, I mean, I care. But you know what I mean? It's I don't have a personal, I don't have any personal, anything to gain. But I think that discussion might need to be had because, um, you know, you are, um, the pay is not coming from parishioners who are donating their money. The pay is coming from the people of the United States who are of every flavor, color, and conviction that there are, that there is. And so I, I fully believe chaplains are vital and necessary to the army, to all the armed forces. But I think that um, we should not have chaplain endorsers who do not hold their fellow endorsers with the same respect you know what I mean? I think all, I mean, just, you know, what do I know? But I think all endorsers should have to respect the other endorsers or get out. <laughs> you said you did not belong to their church. They just did the paperwork and you paid them. Yeah, you had to tithe. You have, you know, a lot of Christian organizations, you send a tenth of your money. So I sent my tithe in. And again, you know, I didn't have any problem with these guys, but I figured they would have a problem with me. <laughs> so I was doing them a favor. I was going to get out of their ranks and go stand over with Dr. Orender in Sacred Well, and thereby the integrity of their organization would be fine. And, and, and you know, um, in the two years that I was serving as a chaplain, I had become more liberal. So... You know, I um, I was not in conflict with those guys when I joined their organization. I just believed a lot more than they did. In other words, I believed in Jesus, but I also believed that there's other ways to God. So in other words, I, I really wasn't in direct conflict with them, but I knew that they were a very conservative Christian organization. And I was growing outside of that, but I had grown outside of that by the time I started looking for a new endorser. I remember before I had met you, I Googled you because I heard the story and it just pops up everywhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> crazy. <isn't> it? <laughs> Christian Chaplin wants to be a Wiccan chaplain. The article doesn't really tell the full story. No, and this was the story that never got told because, see, so I just got, I got hated by a lot of people. I had a lot of people in the pagan community um, who were pretty hostile, and they're like, well, where'd you come from, and how how can you be our chaplain? You know, I mean, like you just drop out of the UFO, and um, so they, uh, they, they suspected my bona fides was um, not... I don't know. I, I hadn't paid my stripes as a pagan, I guess. And then, of course, there's just vast, vast swaths of Christendom had decided that I was Satan. And uh, <laughs> that Satan stuff again. <laughs> that, that has a tendency to make one an unpopular dinner guest. 
So I just, I got it. I really, they, it was so bad for about three years. I mean, I, you know, not Dr. Orndorff he, or um, Ron Schaefer. Those guys always stayed. They always stayed with me. They're, you know. And both of these people are with Sacred Well Congregation. Right. But um, it was so bad that um, I took a sabbatical and moved to China. <laughs> <laughs> and I just the truth. I got so bad. I got so much stuff. I mean, I literally went and hid out in an undisclosed. I'm, I'm, this is no exaggeration. I left Kansas City. I was so tired of it. I moved into my dad's airplane hangar with my two children. As <laughs> 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 so we're living in a apartment inside of an airplane hangar in Melba, Idaho. Google that. And uh, from there... We left. I took a year off, um, and I left, and we went and lived in China. <laughs> what did you do in China? <laughs> <laughs> and taught English in China for a year, man. We were like, I'm like, I am out. I am just gone. I literally moved halfway around the world, and my kids and I lived in Xi'an, China, and later in Haiko, China, and we taught English. And then I came back and I was like, all right, I need to get back in the military and resume my life. But I literally left and um, just lived in China. We actually were there for two years. So then you came back and you went back into the military? Yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> and that was, that, was, that was rocky because as I was trying to get back in, during that process, everybody's like, oh, you're the Wiccan guy. <laughs> <laughs> they all knew about you. <laughs> That's crazy. I'm like, I mean, I, I'll tell you a funny story, though, because yeah, I'd lived in China for two years. So I had a ponytail and um, kind of being my little liberal self. And so I went into officer recruiting with my 201 file, I had a hard copy of the 201 file because the Army wasn't that digitized yet. This would have been about 2009. And I come be bopping in at my Birkenstocks and bell bottoms and ponytail. And then there's a whole room, you know, of, of recruiters and, and everybody kind of stops. Who's that hippie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I come in. I'm like, hi, um, I want to get back in the Army. I'm <laughs> I'm an officer. And the room just busted out laughing. I mean, <laughs> there I am in my red ponytail and Birkenstocks. I'm like, belly button ring. <laughs> Gauges. I mean, it was just crazy. And there, and there, and the guy's like, okay, well, you know, let me look at your thing there. And then they're like, oh my God. Um, this person really is. As a matter of fact, this person's been done a, a war, you know, has done a, two, uh, Two tours of duty, one of them in Iraq. They're like, no. And uh, so I started getting getting in process back in the military. But it kept coming up during my um during that process that, oh, you're the Wiccan guy. Oh. And I had to wait. I kept getting kicked to the back of the line, and it took a while for me to other people just showed up, did the thing, went to the board got accepted and went off and resumed their careers. And I kept getting cycled back. Come back next month. Come back next. This happened like five times. 
It took a while to get back in the military. And there was no, and you know, my, both MOSs, field artillery, especially military police, you know, the way it works is if the army has a need, they'll take you. And they always need low ranking officers like lieutenants and captains. So there are plenty of open jobs, but again, uh, it took a while to, um, to get back in. And I got the distinct impression it might have been because I'm the Wiccan guy. <laughs> the Wiccan guy. <laughs> I should have just showed up with a pointy hat and a broom and <laughs> a couple of cats. <laughs> what? You got a problem with this? <laughs> I'd like to join aviation. <laughs> So, anyway, yeah, but, you know, I'm very thankful. I'm so glad I got to finish my career. And again, though, if all I was was a chaplain, that would have been what they call the career ender. But but thank God that's not how it came out. So, I got to finish and I got to retire, for which I'm very, very thankful. You did go back into the military. So, what was what position were you in? What was your job and what unit were you in? Well, I got back in with the aviation guys because, again, um, I called them. I was like, hey, I'm having a hard time getting through a sessions. Do you have a, a place for me? And my commander from Iraq when I was a chaplain and I got defrocked and he's like, sure, we'd love to have you back. So that was nice to know. And uh, they put me back on. So I was in the Army National Guard and they put me on as a targeting officer. And um, so I was really glad to get back in. And so that was all above board. My own commander accepted me in. But a lot of this was swirling around. And I had another friend, Robert Moore, who was a major in Army Reserves. And he said, you know, we need public affairs officers. And uh, you would be a good public affairs officer, especially with your education. And so I went to my commander and asked if I could transfer, and uh, I had to go through, you know, some a lot of steps with the Army Reserves, but I ended up transferring over to the Army Reserves and becoming a public affairs officer. And I love that, but to show you how this story just permeated everything, so I, I, I became the commander of the 363 PAD, Public Affairs Detachment, in St. Louis, so I'm thinking, finally, this Wiccan stuff is in the rearview mirror. And I can just go be a PAO. I'll be in the Army Reserves. Nobody knows me. And I get to my unit. And I kid you not, that story, for this must be 2010. So that story for gods and country, an NCO in that unit printed it off and tacked it up to the door like the 95 thesis on the cha- the Wittenberg door. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I hadn't even stepped into my new office, and there's that story for gods and country. I'm like, I guess they do know me. <laughs> Somebody does. And later I had a conversation with that particular NCO. I asked him, I said, what, what was that all about? Because we became friends and and. Um, you know, I earned his respect over as commander there for two or three years. And um, he said, well, we all just thought you're getting in public affairs so you could promote your Wiccan story. 
I said, no, actually, Sergeant W. Got into public affairs hoping to get beyond the Wiccan story. That haunted you for several years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. But again, I'm so glad I got through it, went on, and uh, got a chance to finish my career with integrity and left with a bronze star and as a field grade officer. And I had many that were encouraging me to go for lieutenant colonel, but I thought, I'm going to quit while I'm ahead. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to hit the exit. I know that I've got, you know, 20 good years, so (laughs) goodbye before something else happened. But you can laugh about it now. Oh, yeah. I'm very, like I said, I'm very thankful. I got to finish my career. I went on, you know, other tours, another combat tour. Did did really well. I was the commander of the 362 Mobile Public Affairs Detachment out of Londonderry. We were in Operation New Dawn, went back to Iraq, did great work. So, you know, I finally got beyond it with the help, of course, like any officer with some really great NCOs non-commissioned officers, wonderful men and women that love their country. So I got beyond all of it, but man, it just took years. (laughs) So you're known as that Wiccan guy. Yeah, the Wiccan guy. Oh, great. Here's the Wiccan guy. (laughs) You're probably the most famous Wiccan guy in the Army. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's why I have green hair, because I'm the (laughs) the Army Wiccan guy. (laughs) Thank you, Don. This has been wonderful, and this is a perfect example of religious discrimination. Unfortunately, that happened to you, but it made the news. You can laugh about it now. Yeah. No, I'm very, like I said, my heart's filled with gratitude. I'm a very happy person. So I, there's, I don't have bad feelings toward anything. I think perhaps, you know, the Army is always trying to perfect its systems. Might want to take a look at that. (laughs) You you know, you might you might want to do an after action review on how that went down, because um, honestly, I was really innocent in the whole thing. So was Sacred Well. Um, I think maybe some others were not so uh, so uh, sincere. Thank you, Theodora. I hope we get a chance to talk about other things because there's so much more going on. I know in both of our lives, then, for gods and country. And this has been our first episode with Don Larson. Until next time. Bye. Thank you for joining us for Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at Theodora Pendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time and may your magic always shine. (laughs) 